You're listening to the podcast of East River Park Christian Church. If you'd like to find out more information about the church or donate to this ministry, please visit us at eastriverpark.church. We pray that this is an encouragement to you as you grow in Christ through the local church. Believe it or not, I was not a perfect child growing up. I know that is a lot for some of us to take in. Um, and in my disobedience, I was often sent to my room as a, as a punishment, which is a killer for an extrovert. And I hate being alone. I know that's like a dream for some people, but uh, I hate it. And so going to my room by myself with my own thoughts, uh, that was just, I mean, it was brutal for me as a kid and and I would scream and I would cry, anything to get my parents' attention. And there was one line that worked every time. There was one sentence that I knew would unhinge my parents. There was one thing that I knew would get to them. And here's the not-so-secret sentence that I would tell them. Um, you don't love me. Now, no one taught me to say that. Um, I didn't read it in a book. I, I, I didn't watch it in a movie. Like, it just came out, and it was effective. And it, I'd say, yeah, it is a little weird when we don't get what we want or uh, when someone disagrees with us. We default to this idea that they don't love us, but that's a psychological issue for later. You don't love me. Quite an effective line as a, as a child. Even if it was rooted in manipulation and attention-seeking behavior. And guess what? Um, our children have discovered the secret as well. And when our children don't get uh, what they want and their little world is crashing around them, we have heard them say, you don't love me. And it, and it works. It does, because my wife and I would go into their room and, and try to remind them that what they said is not true. The reality is we don't change much as adults for whatever reason, whether it's from childhood trauma or broken relationships or really just our own personality. We doubt if we are loved. And I'm not talking about uh, some some weird narcissistic behavior, just this nagging desire to be loved by others and this unending doubt if it's true. I mean, you know you. You know the things that you wrestle with. You know the things that you've done. You know the dark things that spin in your brain at times. Can anyone really love someone like you? I mean, if someone really knew who you were, like really knew who you were, would they love you? And the resounding answer is yes. But let me, let me show you how, in our passage today, a kind of love from those that are around us, but most importantly, a kind of love from the Lord. 
So we'll start chapter 18 today in 1 Samuel. If you have a digital Bible, I'll read out of the ESV. If you have a bulletin, all of that is in, uh, or at least the main passage is in your bulletin. But before we study and read the passage, let's pray this morning. God, we come before you in confession, knowing that if we're really honest, it is, it's true that many of us doubt if, if anyone could possibly really love us. If they knew everything, they knew everything about our past, and they knew everything that we thought, would anyone actually love us? God, teach us what real love is through your word this morning. Show us through the authority and power of your word and not my own. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. So David, he's been anointed as king. Saul is still king. The great giant has been slayed. And as we enter the passage today, we focus on David and his relationship with the family of Saul. And so we begin with a friendship. Verse 1. So 1 Samuel 18, we'll start in verse 1. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And, And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David, because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him, and gave it to David, and his armor, and even his sword, and his bow, and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people, and also in the sight of Saul's servants." As they were coming home, when, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul, with tambourines, with songs of joy, with musical instruments. The, the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down thousands, and David his ten thousands. And so Saul was very angry. The saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousand. And to me, they've, they've ascribed a thousand. What more can he have but the kingdom? And so Saul eyed David from that day on. The next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul. He raved within his house while David was playing the lyre. As he did day by day, Saul was, had his spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, well, I'll pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. But all Israel and all of Judah, well, they they loved David. For he went out and came in. Before them, who, who will really love me? Really love me? 
And I'm going to shoot real straight and simple today. Two subpoints, two kinds of people in this life that will love you. If you're a note taker, here's point one. Some people will love you unconditionally. Unconditionally. We're introduced to a unique and special friendship between Jonathan and David. We're first introdu- introduced to Jonathan as Saul's oldest son's, uh, son back in chapters 13 and 14. We've seen the faith in Jonathan as he conquered the Philistine army when his dad would not. We've seen a glimpse of the heart of Jonathan and the ways that he carries himself throughout the text. But today we focus on the friendship of Jonathan. It's special because of Jonathan's royal position. It's unique because against popular opinion, they aren't even that close in age. Tim Chester, he comments this. He says, David was 30 when he became king. That's in 2 Samuel 5, 4. Saul reigned for 40 years. That's in Acts 13, 21. So David must have been in the 10th year of Saul's reign. Jonathan was already fighting with Saul during the third year of his father's reign. You see that in 1 Samuel 13, 1. And an Israelite soldier needed to be at least 20. That's in Numbers 1, 3. So in the 10th year of Saul's reign, when David was born, Jonathan must have been at least 27 years old. That, that means that Jonathan is old enough to be David's father, and Jonathan is royalty, while David is a peasant farmer. It's a special and unique friendship. And the text says that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, that he loved his friend like his own soul. And then the the contextual clue from verse 2, we see that Saul would not let David return to his father's house, the house of Jesse. And so David is now living with Saul and his family where best friends become roommates. But there's something else that remarkable um, happens in the passage. In verse 3, a covenant is made. A kind of covenant with a friend that can only be built on love. It's a kind of covenant with a friend that honestly only a king's son could make. So Jonathan, he takes off his royal robe and he gave it to his friend. Jonathan gave him his armor his sword, his bow, and his belt. And now all of that might seem pretty meaningless at first glance until we realize who's the rightful heir to that throne. Jonathan was next in line. Jonathan was set up to be the next king of Israel. And from what we know so far, Jonathan would have made a pretty great king, at least better than his dad. But that's not what the Lord had in mind. For the kingdom has been removed from Saul and and the whole family. And so David was anointed. David would become king. And Jonathan? Well, Jonathan loved his friend enough to recognize that. From a worldly perspective, just reading through the passage, I mean, Jonathan, he he had every right to be filled with jealousy. He had every right to hate this man his dad brought into the house. And and yet it was the humble love of a friend that ruled the day. It was a friend that laid down his life for another, John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friend. 
Yeah, of course, David was anointed, but Jonathan is now handing over the royal wardrobe to his friend. It's a kind of submission rooted in love. And here's the thing. Um, that kind of friendship can still exist today. That kind of unconditional love can still be found today. Family members, friends that are knit to the soul, they love you for you. They're not trying to get something from you. They aren't using you. It's a kind of love from others that's unconditional, a special kind of friendship that sadly few find. Who will really love you? I mean, there are people in your life right now that unconditionally love you. There are. I mean, just because you exist. Just because you breathe. Just because you are. You are loved. That's what genuine, unconditional relationships look like. But it's 2023. So let me clarify. Unconditional loving relationships from our passage this morning. And I, and I do say this in all seriousness. Unconditional loving relationships doesn't mean they are homosexual relationships. Because of the world that we live in, there are plenty of accusations that David and Jonathan had a homosexual relationship. And those accusations are rooted in an over-sexualized culture that turns almost every relationship into a sexual relationship, meaning our culture sees a man knit to the soul of another man, or a woman knit to the soul of another woman and says, well, that must be a gay relationship, or at the very least, they should explore that. And I'm bringing this up because that's what's being taught to my children, your children, and your grandchildren. But not only is the truth of the Bible clear about sexual ethics between one man and one woman, the Bible is clear that, that friendship, real friendship, on a soul level, can still be God-honoring and not sexual. Unconditional loving relationships also doesn't mean they are truth-ignoring and enabling relationships. Because as close as David and Jonathan were, David also becomes close friends with a prophet named Nathan. A prophet that will not stand by and watch his friend live in sin. And so while David is actively imploding his life in 2 Samuel, his friend does not say, hey man, I just love you. I mean, you just do you. Whatever, whatever's working for you, whatever's making you happy, David. The prophet Nathan, the friend of David, actually says this in 2 Samuel 12, 9, why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what's evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with sword and have taken his wife to be. Loving friendships doesn't mean we ignore our friend's sin. 
Loving friendships doesn't mean we enable them to keep living in sin. Unconditional loving relationships are built on truth and trust. And sometimes you need to trust your friend enough to tell you the truth, even if it's going to hurt. It's the first kind of person that will love you in this life. They'll, they'll just, they're just going to love you unconditionally. They'll be there for you through thick and thin. They'll be by your side when life is going well, when life is burning to the ground. And if you're thinking, well, I don't really have anyone that loves me like that. Then let me kindly tell you that's not how friendship works. To go be a Jonathan to a David. Don't wait for David to move into the house. Go be a friend. Specifically become friend, a friend to another follower of Christ and then love them unconditionally. We don't feel sorry for ourselves. We don't listen to this and think, will anyone really love me? Of course they do. Of course they do. Go show that kind of love to another follower of Christ. The bottom line is some people will love you unconditionally. A beautiful, special kind of love. It's the kind of love that we all need. It's a kind of love that encourages us just to keep going. It's a kind of love that actually proves that you love others and love Jesus. John 13, starting in verse 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. For sure, you are loved unconditionally. Who will really love me? Point two, some people will love you conditionally. And this is where all the fun stops. Verse five, David, we see he's having massive success. Wherever Saul sent David, he, he won. David, David is doing so well that he moves from musician to armor bearer, from armor bearer to commander of men of war. And everyone around him that sees that promotion, all the people, all the servants, they see that as good. So David, he's now returning from war, and in customary fashion, the women come out of their homes to welcome back the troops to celebrate. So singing and dancing and tambourines and songs of joy and musical instruments, and they sang a song of praise with lyrics that burned into Saul's heart. Saul has struck down thousands, but David, well, he's ten thousands. And the praise of, of David ringing in his ears, the shepherd boy from Bethlehem now stands with the sword of Goliath, the sword of Saul's son, the praise of a nation. The crowd loves him. Even the last verse of our passage this morning shows it to be true. Verse 16, but all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. And yet, it's a, um, it's a fleeting kind of love. They loved the king who promised to protect him. They loved the king for what he provided for them. But to be sure, the crown did not love David in the same way that Jonathan did. In fact, those same people that hailed praise in the streets were 
quick to stab him in the back, if that reminds you of a story in the New Testament. In 2 Samuel, Absalom, so David's own son, turns the hearts of the people away from his own father. You see this in 2 Samuel 15, starting in verse 13. And a messenger came to David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom. Then David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise, let us flee, or else there will be no escape for us from Absalom. Go quickly, lest he overtake us quickly and bring down ruin on us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. It was an unconditional, or it was a conditional love built on the premise of what someone could provide. And it wasn't, it's not just the crowds, it's also the king. Verse 8, Saul hears the praises, praises of David, and it says he's very angry, and it displeased him. I mean, what happened to Saul? What, what happened to the Saul of 1 Samuel 16? Verse 21, David came to Saul and entered his service, and Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor-bearer. The, the love of Saul for David was conditional, as long as David didn't get in the way, as long as David didn't get the credit, as long as, as, long as David knew his place then Saul would love him. But within two chapters, that's all imploded. A threat has moved into the royal family. And as verse 9 says, that Saul eyed David from that day. The implication is that Saul sought evil against him moving forward. And that's exactly what we see as the passage we referenced several weeks ago. The harmful spirit from God once again rushed upon Saul and the praise of David was now drowning out the praise from David. So Saul launched a spirit at him and then the man dodged twice. See, conditional love is the heart of a narcissist. And Saul is the primary example here in the text. Conditional love is always seeking to answer this one question. What can you do for me? I'll love you as long as you feed what I want and what I need. David can provide the music. David can provide the military strength against the enemy. But the second the music is for David and not just from David, Saul's furious. The second that credit is given to David and not Saul, Saul or that love turns to murder. Saul was jealous and scared. His servant had the presence of the Lord when he did not. So he's got no other play here in the text. In verse 13, we see that he just, he just kicks David out. So before we see that the Lord, the presence of the Lord has left Saul, but now Saul has just kicked out David and the presence of the Lord. The Lord was with David and Saul hated it. There are going to be people in your life that love you conditionally. As soon as you don't meet their needs and wants, and expectations, you're done. They will move on to someone else. It's a conditional love. 
David is just a pawn in Saul's royal game. As long as he could be used, he could be loved. And I'd say, friends, many of us have been treated just like that. You thought you had the love of Jonathan, and then you found out you had the love of Saul. It was conditional. And yeah, it hurts the most when it's people really close to you. People in your own house. Family members that love you so they can benefit from you. Church members that love you until they don't get their way. Conditional love is a sad truth, but a real one. So yeah, I I mean, let us be cautious of the praise of crowds. Let us love others without selfish motivation. Who will really love me? Let me give you a little glimpse into my sermon preparation. Um, I have to get those notes that are in the bulletin to Mary Ann, our administrative assistant, by Thursday morning. Truth be told, she would love to have those sooner. Um, But that's my deadline. So usually, on Wednesday nights um, and early Thursday mornings, I'm finishing like the structure of the Sunday sermon. So I've read um, and I've studied and I've prayed. I just I haven't written everything out yet. Um, but I do need to have my structure done. I need to have the title, the theme, the subpoints, the summary point or main point. They need to be ready to go. And so I'll begin to text. Um, send text messages to a few trusted friends of these points for Sunday. Um, And this time I sent them several outlines. I wasn't sure where I was going to go with all this. And um, I just wait for them so I can hear some feedback. This Thursday morning, I'm waiting to hear back from a close friend, um, a friend I've been close with my entire life. Uh, He's in ministry, he's a smart guy, always been very smart. I trust uh, his feedback on something like this, and I saw the notification from him light up. I thought, awesome, because I need some affirmation here. Um, It's Thursday morning, and I'm doubting myself. And so I unlocked my phone, and his text message was about some concerning health issues with his mother and... In my wicked, selfish heart, my first thought was, that's terrible. What about my notes? What about my sermon points for Sunday? I mean, are they decent or not? No, I didn't say that to him. um, But that was definitely my first thought. Like, how terrible is that? A friend I messaged, uh, I've messaged almost every day of my Life, a friend that I I do, I unconditionally love. How could I be so selfish? The truth is, both camps this morning will let you down. Those that love you just to get something from you will eventually let you down. But even those that love you unconditionally will eventually let you down. 
that's not the friend I want to be. It's not. Um, that's not the love I want to show. But sometimes I just disappoint those I love by the things that I think, say, and do. I mean, even in my best efforts, my guess, my guess is you can relate. Be honest, I, I, I mean, I let myself down time and time again. The Bible, full of sinful, messy men and women that let each other down, even with the best intentions. Who will really love me? Who will love me in all the ways others cannot? Probably know where this is going. Romans 5, verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Here's the overwhelming truth of the gospel in your summary point this morning. God truly does love you at your worst. Your worst. While we were still sinners, while we had nothing to offer to God, while we were his enemy, he loves us and sent his son Jesus to die for us. Who will really love us? Who will really love you? God will. And it's the kind of love that neither Jonathan nor the crowd nor Saul could offer. It's a kind of love of God that is saving. It's a kind of love of God that is transformative. It's a kind of love of God that won't change based on how you feel that day. Yeah, God loves you at your best. But he's the God that loves you at your worst. And at the end of the day... I mean, we really only love it all because he first loved us. Scotty Smith, I'll end with this. He says this. God's grace is stronger than our worst sins. And his blood is deeper than our lowest days. This does not make us stop pursuing holiness. It makes us pursue it all the more. We hate the sin he died for. And love to see his beauty and his righteousness and his glory increasingly reflected in our own lives. We do not celebrate or settle for failure, but we do rejoice. We rejoice in a love that is stronger than our worst days. Let's pray together. God, we're thankful for an opportunity to gather with brothers and sisters in Christ and gather around your word and study and, and read and and reflect and pray. God, I'm thankful for the overwhelming truth of your love. God, seeing both realities in my life, there are people that have just loved me unconditionally, whether I've been doing real great or not so great. There's been people in my life that they, they seem like they love me as long as I'm providing something for them. Well, God, thank you for the overwhelming truth of the gospel. That you love us and love us at our worst. Even while we were dead in sin, 
even when we had nothing to offer to you. You love us. And so we're thankful and overwhelmed by the reality of Christ and what he has done for us on our behalf. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen.